We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we've been walking through this series, uh, shooting straight about parenting. This is the last week, and uh, we've been learning a lot about what God's Word says about uh, uh, for us in terms of parenting. Um, a little bit of a review if you've been missing the last couple of weeks, if you missed any of it. Uh, we learned that children are like arrows, right? The Bible says that children are like arrows in the hands of the warriors, and therefore the warriors are the parents. Parents are like warriors in the hands of God, using their children as arrows, because parenting, we found out, is war, right? And not just like war with you and your kids, but, but war against a real enemy that is trying to come after your kids and come after your family. And so us as parents, our job is to take the arrows, to straighten the arrows, to sharpen the arrows, and then to shoot out the arrows for the glory of God. And that's what we want to land on today for our last sermon is what does it look like to shoot out our kids uh, for the glory of God and for the gospel, sending them out like arrows. Some of you are like, yeah, I sent mine out a while back, Mike, and I thought it was an arrow, but came to, come to find out it was actually uh, a boomerang because uh, it came back and now it's back with me at my house. And um, there's a story kind of like that on what kind of was a big deal on social media a year or two back. Um, maybe you remember this. His name was Michael Rotondo. Anybody remember this guy? So here's a story about Michael. We got a picture of him. And uh, he, when he was 22 years old, he moved back in with his parents, and, and he thought he'd be there for just a little while. And um, eight years later, uh, he was still living at home, and so his parents were trying to, you know, trying to help him out, trying to give him a vision for the future, and said, hey, you know, it's time to you know, move out, get your own place, get a job, get, get some responsibility, move it in the right direction. And, and Michael was like, uh, nope, not going to do it. And um, so his parents proceeded then to give him an eviction notice um, at his parents' house. Not, not just one eviction notice, five eviction notices they served to their son because he would not vacate the premises. And it finally ended up going to court. And Michael goes before the judge and he says, Judge, you, got, you, can't, you can't kick me out. I'm just, I'm not prepared. And the judge said, 31, got to go, right? Like... Out you go. And, uh, and so one of the things that we want to do today by God's grace and by, through God's word is to help you um, not become a Michael and not raise kids who are Michaels. We want to raise kids who are prepared to be sent out for the Lord. That's our job, parents. That's the goal, right, is to send them out for the glory of the Lord. And so our job as parents is to prepare them for that day when there's time for them to go. Okay, so here's the main thought this morning as we dig into God's word. The purpose of parenting is to aim our kids at the purposes of God. The purpose of parenting is to aim our kids at the purposes of God and of the gospel. So um, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Now, this isn't a traditional parenting passage, right? This isn't like your go-to passage for parenting necessarily, but... I think you're going to see the analogy here very clearly as Paul starts to write about Timothy, who he considers to be his spiritual son. All right, He was like a father to Timothy in a lot of ways, and we're going to learn some things about their father and son relationship here. So look at verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, there's key word, Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son 
with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. All right, so point number one this morning is this. Send them with hope in the Lord. When it comes time to send our children out, we want to send them with hope in the Lord. See how Paul starts the phrase there in 19? He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Now, Paul didn't have to say that, right? He could have just said, I hope to send Timothy, or I'm sending Timothy. But he didn't. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. You see, Paul had a vertical view of ministry. He understood very clearly that his confidence, his hope, his trust in ministry was not in his own abilities. It was in the Lord's ability. Whether he had Timothy by his side or not, the Lord was going to continue to do his work um, and that he could entrust himself and entrust Timothy with his hope in the Lord. Parenting is the same way. We have to have a vertical view of parenting. We have to come to understanding that the only hope that we have, the only hope that our kids have to be anything worthy of following Christ is by his ability, by his power, by his strength working through us, right? That's a vertical view of parenting. Listen, if you've been parenting for even more than five minutes, (laughs) you very clearly know that you do not have the ability to make that kid what they need to be for the Lord. Amen? Parents, come on now. Anybody awake? I know you lost an hour last night, but I need you to wake up this morning, okay? We don't have the ability. We have to trust in the Lord's ability to do this. I do not have the ability to straighten my kids. All right, so we have to trust. We have to put our hope in the Lord. And furthermore, when we don't hope in the Lord, what that ends up producing is overprotective parents. You know what I'm talking about? Today they call them the helicopter parents, right? Because they're always hovering, right? When we don't trust in the Lord, I feel like I can, I can never release my children. I can never let them go. I can never trust the Lord's ability to protect them, to lead them, to, to send them straight, even though I know they're bent. Um, I can't trust the Lord to do these things. And so I'm, I'm driven by this fear that something bad will happen to my kids if I ever let them out of my sights. If I ever take my hands off, if, I ever aren't, if I'm ever not right there, something bad might happen. Right? They might skin their knee, or they might make a bad choice at school, or they might hang in with the, fall in with the wrong crowd, or whatever that thing is that you're so fearful about. And all of that fear comes from a lack of hope that the Lord has the ability to father our children even when we can't. And so Paul says we need a vertical view, we need to hope in the Lord that he will do what we cannot. And so don't be that overprotective parent who thinks that the only hope for your kid is in you, okay? The only hope for your kid, the only hope for my kid, the only hope for all of us is Jesus. It's in the Lord, and that's where our hope lies. Now some of you are thinking, okay, Mike, I hear that, but isn't it the parent's job to protect their children? Isn't that like part of the, the, the like pretty high on the, the job description of parenting, like protect the children? Yes, absolutely, right? You sh- your first responsibility is to protect your children. You should do that, and you should do that well. Protect them from danger. That's number one. But number two is to prepare them to be dangerous, right? It's not just enough to protect them from danger. We need to prepare them to be 
dangerous. Some of you are like, no problem, got that covered, come to our house, everything's broken or on fire, okay? Dangerous is not a problem. I'm not talking about that kind of dangerous, not like dangerous to others or dangerous to themselves, but dangerous to the enemy, right? That they are prepared to go out and do damage. This is why, again, this is why God calls them arrows. Arrows are not safe, right? They're not meant to just be hung on the wall as pretty art. They're not just like accessories to make the warrior look cool, right? Arrows are designed to fight, to, to go into battle, to do damage for the Lord, and they have to be prepared to do that. And so we need to prepare our kids to be dangerous for God. So what does that mean? What's that look like to be dangerous for the Lord? And let me, let me give you a story. Um, maybe you've heard of this guy in the Bible. His name was Lazarus. Anybody heard of Lazarus before? Who, who's Lazarus? What, what, what's the big deal about him? All right, yeah. He's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, right? So he's go, he dies. He goes in the, the tomb. Jesus hangs out for a few more days just to make it dramatic. And then he comes back and he says, hey, Lazarus, get up. Come forth. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And everybody starts cheering and excited. This is the guy, right? that like you want to put on stage the Billy Graham crusade, right? Like this is the testimony you want. Like I was in the grave four days, right? And then Jesus came and got me out. Like millions of dollars on a book tour right there, for sure with this dude, right? Lazarus could draw a crowd. In fact, he did. Listen to this in John chapter two, or chapter, chapter 12, rather, verse nine. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see who? To see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And because the crowd came to see Lazarus, look what happens. It says the chief priests made plans to, to put Lazarus to death as well. So picture this. Jesus comes to town, raises Lazarus back to life. They're all celebrating. Crowds are coming, celebrating. And the chief priests are like, man, this dude, he's, he's leading everybody to Jesus. What are we going to do? I got it. We'll kill him. Jesus is like, all right, I'll raise him again. Like, fine, we'll kill him again. But then I'll raise him. And Lazarus is over here like, hey, guys, I'm right here. Like, I'm feeling like a little bit of a pawn right now in this whole game, right? You don't ever want to pick a fight with Jesus, all right? You will lose, okay? He is the victorious one. And so right here what we see is that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, if you go back to the original account, it says that he raised Lazarus for the glory of God. That was the purpose in which Jesus brought him back to life. It wasn't just because Mary and Martha were sad or because he was like friends with Lazarus. It was for the glory of God. And in this passage, it says that because of Lazarus, that many were coming to Jesus. They were coming because of Lazarus. Because Lazarus was dangerous for the gospel, dangerous to Jesus' enemies who wanted to suppress this whole thing because he had a story about how God had changed his life and he was telling everybody. And that made him dangerous. So I'm not sure what, what your goals are for your kids. Right? We, we all have goals for our kids. Like some of you are like, no, I let my kid pick his own. No, whatever. You have your goal. Like you have something in your mind that like you want to see your kid achieve certain things. You want, you want certain things for them in their life. I don't know what your goals are for your kids. I want my kids to be dangerous for Jesus Christ. Like, that's the most important thing. I want them to be so straight and so sharp that they do such dramatic damage to the enemy that many come to Jesus on account of them. 
recording now, we're, we're trying to raise our kids not just to survive the world, but to change the world. Right? If we're just going after comfort, if we're just going after survival, we're, it, we're setting the bar way too low. Right? Like, we need to make our kids so dangerous that when they show up, the enemy's like, man, we can't have this. We've got to kill them. Right? We've got to take these guys out. Like, this is, they, are doing, they are way too effective for the gospel. Like, Mike, I don't want him to kill my kids. God's got it, okay? Like, you understand, God wins the whole thing, right? But they need to be dangerous. We need to have high gospel goals for our kids and for their lives and prepare them for such. Another story, um, there was a guy named Adoniram Judson. Um, He was the first American missionary to India and Burma, did amazing missionary work in those early days. But before he left to go overseas for his missionary journey, he fell in love with this girl named Anne. And so he wanted to marry little Anne, and so he goes to her father to ask permission to marry her, which you did that back then. That was like the official thing. Um, guys, that's still a good idea, by the way. If you, you, know, if you find a girl, go talk to her parents first, okay? And, but he didn't just talk to him. He wrote him a letter. So he writes a letter to Anne's dad asking for her hand in marriage. So all the dads in the room, just feel the tension right now, okay? It's already there, right? Like, Nobody is good enough for my daughter, and uh, so you, whatever, you, whatever you're going to propose here better be really, really good for me to say yes to this union, all right? And here's what he writes to Anne's father. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Uh, No. Scratch that, like conversation over, right? But he goes on. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and the sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Well, evidently, dad said yes, because Anne married Adoniram, and they moved to India, and they did maximum damage for the Lord. So parents, can you release your kids into God's hands, believing that he has the ability and the power to protect them and to use them and to, to, to send them out for his glory in ways that we could never imagine or do on our own? That's the call for us as parents. We send them out with hope in the Lord and what he will do through their lives. But there's a second thing. Number two, send them towards something greater than themselves. Send them towards something greater than themselves. Look at verse 20. It says, uh, he goes on, for Timothy, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. 
Now, that last phrase there, seek their own interests, I think that stands out to me because that's like quintessential description for a child, right? Like, our kids, they are just naturally bent to always look out for number one, right? They, they're just, anybody else notice this? They just are inherently selfish, right? That's really all of us. And so the job of the parents is to help get the eyes of our kids off of themselves and on to something greater, right? To look past their own lives, past their own, you know, existence. We need to help them realize, listen, you are just a speck of dust, on the canvas of God's great story in creation. I know it's different than what you hear everybody everywhere else, okay? But like, yes, you are loved. Yes, you are valued. Yes, you have worth because you are made in the image of God. But listen, it's not about you. Stop trying to turn the whole world in on yourself. And get your eyes off on something greater that you can do with your life. We want to aim our kids at others. Listen, if you find a kid who has any sense of like empathy or, or care or concern for anybody beyond themselves, you will find behind them a parent who has been training and discipling and teaching them to give their lives to something greater than themselves. Because we don't get that naturally. So we have to aim our kids at others to love others, to serve others. This is what we're going for. Our three girls um, have grown up pretty much in public school. And, um, and so throughout their schooling and time there, um, they've made lots of frenemies. You heard this before, you know what I'm talking about, frenemies, right? It seems like this happens a lot with girls, especially like one moment they're great, they're friends, next moment not so much, right? And so there's the picking on and the bullying and the name calling and the I don't like them anymore and all this kind of stuff. And so our girls, oftentimes we have to have these conversations with them about what do you do when someone's being mean to you? What do you do whenever you're having a conflict with somebody? And uh, so we say, like, listen, first of all, you need to understand why they're acting this way. Right? There's something going on inside their heart that's causing them to say that, that's causing them to do that. Maybe something at home is not good. Maybe they don't have anybody in their house that's teaching them about Jesus or teaching them how to love others. Like, you need to understand there's a, something driving them to do this and say these things. And so the best thing you can do for them in that moment is to pray for them. Isn't that what Jesus said, right? Pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And so we have to teach our kids, like, listen, just because they're attacking you, just because they're doing something mean or ugly, like, I understand that hurts, but this is your opportunity to respond with the gospel, to respond with light and pray for them. And then you know what? Look around the school for somebody else who doesn't have a friend, like someone who's in need, right? And, and go be friends with them. Like, forget these people. Like, go find somebody who's actually looking for friendship, who needs somebody to come alongside them. Maybe not the most popular person in school, but, but they could really use somebody to be a friend to them. And if you're a friend to them, guess what? They'll be a friend back to you. Right? We do these kind of things because this is what Jesus did. Right? He went to the least of these. He went to those who needed him the most. This is how you live a gospel-centered life, is you get your eyes off of yourself and your own discomfort and your own struggles and your own pain, and you look for others that you can pray for, others that you can befriend, others that you can go to in love. This is what it means to aim ourselves at others. And we have to teach our kids what that looks like. Let me give you another example, another missionary example, actually. His name is Jim Elliott. Um, Jim and Elizabeth, his wife, uh, went and served in South America when they were 27 years old. 
And they were going to an unreached people group who was this kind of savage, cannibalistic people group, never heard the gospel, knew nothing about Jesus, and they were going to try to win them to Christ. But again, before they left, Jim wrote a letter to his parents. And this is what it said. He said, I do not wonder that you were, that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, he told us, must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not then. If your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice rather, seeing that the will of God is done gladly. Then catch this part. He says, remember how the psalmist described children? He said, they were as an heritage from the Lord. And that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of? But arrows. And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstrings back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. Jim Elliot was shot out as an arrow for the Lord to do maximum damage, and he did. And because of his great courage and conviction in the gospel, we're still talking about it today. This is what we want for our kids, to send them out for a purpose that's greater than themselves. One more thing this morning. Point number three, send them to serve the purposes of the gospel. Send them to serve the purposes of the gospel. Look at verse 22. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Now again, just an interesting comment here from Paul. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. You know how great he has been. He's bragging on Timothy, right? Like, he has been a son to me. He's been useful to me in ministry. He's been a comfort. He's, he served me. He makes me more effective in the gospel. Timothy's like my best guy. He's my number one guy. And you would expect him to follow that up with, so don't you dare thinking about taking him away, right? Like, he's my guy. Like, he's the one that that's helps me the most. But that's not what Paul says. He says, therefore, I hope to send him. I hope to send you my number one guy. See, Paul understood that there was an opportunity for Timothy to go, to be sent out, to serve another local church where he could make an even greater impact for the gospel than he could there with Paul. So he gladly released him unto the Lord to be sent. This is what we're called to as parents with our children. Now, I want to end today with something a little bit different. We're going to try to answer some really practical questions for you, because some of you are like, this all sounds good, Micah, but how do, I, how do I prepare to send my kids out? What does this look like? And so Courtney's going to come up here and join me, and uh, we're going to try to just answer a few questions for you along these lines and hopefully give you some tools that can help you with that. So, hey, babe. Is that on? Okay. 
So I'm going to let her start. So here's the first question. So how can we prepare for that awful moment as parents where we actually have to send them out, where we actually have to release them to the Lord? What can we do to get ourselves there? Well, we obviously have not done this yet because we have three little girls at home. Um, But we, and some of you already have, and we understand that, and we can learn much from you and from others like you. And that's what we've been trying to do over the last several years is to begin to um, absorb as much as we can in wisdom so that we can better prepare for this moment. So with that in mind, we're just going to share some of what we've learned so far. Um, The biggest thing I can think of so far is have the end goal in mind, which he's been sharing a little bit already as we set this out, that our goal is to send them out and... um, and that's, that's our end purpose. But now let's go back for a second and let's remember the moment that you held your child in your arms for the very first time. Um, all the emotions are flooding in you and there's a lot of fear because we don't know. Like there's all these unknowns. We love this baby so much, but we have no idea what their personalities are like, what they're going to be good at, what are their talents, what is, it that, what is going to make this kid tick? But we didn't know that, but God did. He knows before they're even born what their purpose is in life because he's made them with that. Um, And so we've just kind of learned to embrace that and begin to pray, like, thank you, God, for this treasure that you have given us um, in this short, short time period. Help us to build a biblical mindset and heart for others in them so that when we release them, they are ready to go out for you. And that's kind of been our prayer. Um, Another thought within this is to embrace God's grace of this gradual release. God really is gracious towards us. Um, We bring that baby home, and we are like 24-7 rocking. This is our responsibility now. All else is gone, right? But There's this moment, then you come start coming to church, and about six months old, that baby does not sit still anymore. They are not sleeping through the church anymore, the service. So we have this wonderful place called a nursery, and you drop this baby off for a couple hours. And as your first act of releasing that child to someone else other than yourselves. So that's your first step. And then it goes into preschool. They're gone a couple days a week for a few hours. And then it goes to elementary, and they're in five days a week for like seven-plus hours. And by the time they get to high school, they're doing overnight trips. They're doing. There's this gradual release in our lives that God graciously gives us. And that helps both us and our kids um, because we're releasing them over time. It's not this big all-of-a-sudden cut. And because it's not really fair to our kids That if we hold so tightly to them and at 18, we send them out to college or into life and they aren't prepared because they're not used to being on their own. Yeah, and so I think what what we're trying to say is that it's this ongoing process as parents, right, that we have to gradually loosen our grip little by little as we're preparing them to be sent out. And I think this really can become a struggle sometimes for parents who their identity is so invested in their child or, or even just controlling their child or controlling them and trying to create this perfect little environment or person that they're working on. And, and you know, you, they get this mentality in our hearts of like, if I didn't have this child to pour my life into, then 
then I, what would I do? Like, I don't, have any, I don't know what else I would do with my life. I don't know what else I, who I would be. And that's a problem. Because then when it comes time to actually release them fully off onto their own, we won't want to let them go because we're like, man, I, I am so invested in who they are. But we need to remember the child is a temporary gift that God has given us. And he expects fully that one day we're going to release that gift back to him, prepared to do maximum damage for the kingdom. And when I can't release my kids occasionally and temporarily as they start to grow up, I won't be prepared to release them fully to the Lord later on. So what prevents us from letting go of our children? Um, That's always like, let's get to our hearts right now. So he's already addressed some of this in the message today, but it's really about lacking a biblical perspective about what parenting is supposed to be. In Genesis 2 and in Ephesians 5, it says, A man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. This is Old Testament and New Testament, so it's a big deal right? Like, so this is important. And this is the way God is telling us how our parenting and how our marriage and life should look like. We are to, they are to leave their parents. And that is not just physically, that is relationally, that is emotionally, that is financially eventually. And in all of the priorities that when the marriage unit takes place, that that is first and the parents are in the background now. And God tells us that there is a time to let go of the family that we have known and embrace a new season in marriage and life. There was a a time whenever Cordy and I were just dating still, but I had kind of gotten in my mind that it was time to get engaged and start moving towards marriage. And I graduated from college and I was working, but I wasn't working like a great job yet. I hadn't found that that real college job yet. And so... um, and so I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, I want to I propose to Courtney. I'm going to buy this ring, but, you know, I'm not making a lot of money yet. And so, like, could I, could I move in back in with you? I'm living with these guys at this house, and I could save some rent if I could just move in with you for, like, six months. And once we get married, then I'll move in, you know, with Courtney, and, and we'll be good to go. And, and so he thought about it, and he said, no. And I was like, dad, like, I'm, I'm your son. And he was like, no, you're, you're a grown man. And you graduated, and you're on your own, and you need to figure it out. And he was right. right. He was teaching me to be released. He was preparing me to do what I needed to do to provide for a family to move forward. And even after we got married, um, him and my stepmom had this phrase that they would use over and over again. Anytime we'd be having a conversation about stuff, they'd be like, well, you know, you could do this, you could do this, but, but we don't want to interfere. That, that was always their phrase. We don't want to interfere. Because um, they were trying to give us that space, that release, so that we could then follow the Lord together as a couple and not have this overdue influence um, from parents so that we could be following the Lord on our own. Um, and I think sometimes this is even harder for um, maybe single parents, because you, you, know, you don't have that spouse alongside you, and you've just been investing in them for so long. Or maybe stay-at-home parents, because you've given up career to just put all of yourself into these children uh, as they've been growing up. Or uh, even families who have just one kid, right? The, the single kid families. And, and like it's like from... 100% to zero in one swoop, right? You lose all of them in just one. And so it's not kind of a gradual step down. And, and although that's hard and that could be more difficult, again, this is still something we're, we need to be preparing ourselves for, be preparing them for so that we can see God really use them in the right way. So another concern or thing that can hold us tightly is when we make it um, a very child-centered focus in our parenting. And that's like the idea that there's just no room 
for anything else in our lives because we can never let them go. <laughs> like, they are the it. They are the most important thing. And it's easy a lot of times to stand on the outside and point at others and say, hey, whoa, that's extreme. Like, that, I, I'd never do that. But all of us, I think, in parenting can easily get sucked into this, and they are in very subtle ways. Let me give you some examples. So mom and dad are in the kitchen, and they're having a fairly serious conversation. Not a fight, nothing else, but something important is needing to happen between the husband and wife. And all of a sudden, from the other room, you hear this, Mommy! Mom! 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 And you immediately stop your husband in mid-sentence and you walk out of the room to tend to this child that is not an emergency situation. Right then is a subtle way that that child has taken priority in the relationship and you have neglected this husband-wife relationship. Another way to look at this, look at your calendar. How much of your calendar is filled with day-in, day-out kids' activities? and you haven't had a date in months, that's a concern. And I'm not saying, or, you know, we have to remember the priority that God has given us, this bigger goal. It's him first, his kingdom purposes, and our marriage next. That's first. And I am not saying at all to neglect your kids because this is super important. That is a major responsibility that God gives us. But if you are not making time for the Lord, meaning you've not had a quiet time, you've not prayed, you're not investing in your own personal discipleship because you're pouring so much out for your kids, and, and you've neglected this relationship with your spouse, you've not had a date, you've not had an actual conversation in months, or, and there's zero intimacy, then this is a problem. Because if your marriage erodes over time because of neglecting that relationship, it will make it impossible for you to be willing to let go and send out your kids. When you do, you're going to come home to a stranger. Because for 20 years, you've only invested in the kids and not in that husband-wife relationship. you got to remember, the husband-wife relationship is the permanent priority that God has given you. Right? Like, that's the lifetime relationship. The child-parent relationship, that's a temporary priority. You have them for a season, and then you're going to release them back to the Lord. And so we have to keep them in the right order. We can't get those two things flipped. Otherwise, it can cause some major damage to your family. And um, the truth is, your children want you to keep it first. They want the husband and wife relationship to be the primary thing because that's their security. But they won't help you do it. <laughs> but they won't nope. help you do it. Mm-mm. Um, you have to make it a priority. You have to fight for that. And then when they're 27, they'll come back and be like, thank you so much that you're still together and that you did it well and did it right. So, all right, third question. How can the church and the family partner together to prepare these arrows to be sent out towards the Lord and towards his purposes, right? This is, this is why we have this community is to, to do some things together. So what would that look like? Well, here's the first thing I want to just mention to you. Some of you, I love you. But some of you still see the church in a consumer relationship. It's like a spiritual grocery store. You come on Sundays, you pick up your spiritual groceries, and then you go home, and you just consume those for the rest of the week until you can come back Sunday and the next Sunday and get some more. And that's the way you function with the church. Now, listen, if you're a new believer, 
man, we are glad you're here. Welcome. We love you. We want you to just suck up as much as you can. You can suck the life out of us for a while, okay? But there comes a point where we all have to transition from being consumers to contributors. Because here's the problem, parents. If your kids only ever see you as a consumer at church, then they're going to start to believe that you only need God or God's only really important when you need something from him, when you're getting some benefit out of it. And if the parents are only consumers, and that's all the kids ever see, when the kids grow up, guess what? They're not going to be consumers or contributors because they're not going to see the value of who God really is. And so we have to move from just being consumers to uh, contributors. Um, You have all heard this stat, right, that 85% of church kids leave the church when they leave the home. And, and again, I think we always need to qualify stats like that, right? Like, what church were they going to? What, you know, what kind of church was it? How involved was the family? Were the parents just consumers, or were they contributors? Because when the whole family comes to church together, and they're serving together on Sundays, and the kids are involved, and they see this as their place to belong to, it, pre- it creates a whole different heart in that child to be following God and to be a part of God's church. And so if you want your kids to walk with the Lord when you release them from your home, don't just consume, contribute. Right? Be a part of what God's doing here. I know we have so many families here at Harvest that do this well. Some of you, you show up on Sundays, the car pulls up, the doors open up, and everybody in the car goes somewhere to start serving or doing something. Right? And we love that, and that's awesome because you're teaching your kids, you're building a heart in them to serve the Lord and to be a part of the family, and so um, they will be blessed for that. And I think what coincides with that is this idea that every family has multiple communities that you're a part of. You know what I'm talking about, right? We all have the church community, but we also have like school, we've got sports, we've got other activities, we've got, you know, whatever, whatever things your family are involved in. And the question is, with all these different communities that you're a part of, which communities do you belong to and which ones do you just visit? Because there's a difference, right? If your kid feels like the place they belong, the main place where they have friends and they hang out and they're a part is school, and they just visit church on the weekends, that's not going to go well. But if church is the place where they belong, if that's the place where they're connected, where they're growing in relationships, and they just visit everywhere else, now we're on to something, right? That's what we're wanting for our kids, and for our families. And so we want this place as a church to be so vibrant, so full of the the presence of God, and just so saturated in the love of God that our kids love to come here. They desire to, this this is their people, right? This is where they feel at home, where they belong, and they're just visiting everywhere else. Band, chess club, you know, sports, even extended family. Like if you have extended family members who don't share your faith and don't share your values in Jesus Christ, You love them and you go, but it should feel like you're just visiting there because you don't share the same purposes. You're not heading in the same direction. But here at church, we all have the same values. We have the same beliefs. We have the same purposes. And so we're heading in the same direction. Think about it like a river, right? Here at church, you can just come. You can just jump in and just float along with the current, right? Because everybody's going in the same direction and this feels comfortable and this is where we're meant to belong. And we have to go jump in other rivers sometimes too, right? The kids have to go to the school But when they jump in the river at school, it should feel like they're swimming upstream, right? Like that's not their people. Their people are here. This is where we belong. And so um, 
at church, I think the goal is as families, as parents, as, as a church family, that we're partnering together with other families, with other people to create this current that's all moving us in the direction towards Jesus, and that's going to help get our kids where they need to go, right, where we want them to go. But it's part about being a part of this and contributing here. I know for our family, we've seen this play out with our girls in so many different ways. Um, I, I remember several times in the past, our ladies' small group would approach us and say, hey, we, we, want, we want you guys to go out for a date or something. You know, just get out of the house. We're, we're going to take care of the girls. And so like five or six ladies from the small group would all come over and they would babysit our girls. So there's like a two to one ratio and our girls were eating it up, right? Like they had all these ladies from church that they loved and they got to spend time with them and just invest in them. Um, a few weeks back, um, our girls come every morning with us to help set up everything, get everything ready for church in the morning. We get here super early. And so they bring toys and they just kind of play in the back and hang out. And one Sunday I was walking by and one of our young adults, Maggie, had gotten down on the floor with them and she was playing Barbies with them on the floor while she was waiting for church to get set up. And it's just those little investments, right, where they're getting to connect with other, um, with other ladies in our church that, like, love Jesus and they're seeing that in them. And, and it's just so great. We had uh, Phil and Joe who would kind of become little extra grandparents to our kids when Courtney was going through cancer. And they would take them to school sometimes. Or they would take them to activities. And I think Phil went to dance class, like, four or five times with one of our girls. Like, just because they were just coming around and helping. And you don't, here's, the, here's what I'm saying, guys. You don't get those kind of relationships. You don't get that kind of involvement if you're just a consumer. That comes when you invest, when you contribute, when you're a part of what's going on in the church family. And so if you're wanting that, don't just come pick up the spiritual groceries on Sunday, right? Come and be a part and contribute. There are tons of places, opportunities you can serve here. Even teenagers, you guys can plug in and be serving here. We have so many teenagers that serve at our church. And some of you I know are skeptical and you're like, yeah, pastor, you're just trying to like fill the church, right? You're just trying to, to just get all the serving spots filled, and I'm really not. I'm trying to help you raise your children in a way that's going to be blessed by the Lord. And so if you need to get involved, if you need to start contributing, man, jump in. We have a whole army of people that serve here every week. We have 55 people in our church that serve in kids' ministry at least once a month. 55 people in a church our size, that's awesome. But we need more. We need like eight more people probably to be fully staffed in that ministry. And you don't have to do anything special. Like you don't have to have any training. Like just come hold a baby, right? Like just come to the nursery, hold a baby, love on them a little bit, pray over them. Can you contribute like that? Can you contribute somewhere else? We got this brand new building that we're trying to get ready. We had a group of 11 college students who never knew us come on their spring break to come serve our church and help get that building ready to go. What are we doing to contribute? How are we investing? Right? This is how we do this together. So we want to be a part of that. I'm sure some of you might be saying, well, of course your kids are involved because you're the pastor's family and that's your job, right? But I want to tell you that we weren't always in ministry. In fact, when we were first married, we both were teachers. We worked full-time jobs and we still were just as involved in our church then as we are now. And that was always the goal. This has never been an optional thing for us. We would be, we would be doing the same thing even if we weren't in ministry. Um, and it's not a, I have to, but it, it's a we get to. This is, this is what we do as followers of Christ. We get to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength. 
And we get to love and serve the church that Christ died for, that he gave himself up for. That is a privilege, friends. And so I just want to encourage you with that. This isn't something of us, you know, saying, well, you know, you have to do all these things. We would do the weird. We are and we would do the same things even if we weren't in this position. Um, another really great thing is just to continue to expand this Christian environment and community around your kids, all right? So it just helps them see that they're not alone. Um, I know our kids a lot of times are like, Mom, Dad, you're strict. You may have all these rules. And we try to tell them this is why in God's word it says these things. But when they come and they're around other people and they see other kids and their parents doing the same things, it just reinforces this isn't just mom and dad. This is what we do because of Jesus Christ. And so there's lots of ways to do this. We mentioned a lot about church today, but also sending your kids to Christian summer camp, letting them go and be with a whole bunch of other kids who praise Jesus and they hear God's word and it changes and impacts their lives. Mission trips are another great way of doing this, um, letting them see the least of these in action. We had all these missionaries today in, our, in the sermon um, and how impactful that is when you go outside of yourself and begin to teach them these things. And also just having those other people around you to be another voice besides yours to speak into your kids' hearts and lives with the same values that you have. Um, we do this a lot. Like we hire a lot of times girls from church to babysit and our small group babysitting because one, um, we want to bless you guys, but then also we also want our girls to have good examples. I want my girls to be around somebody who's older, who loves Jesus, who doesn't say the same things that the kids at school say, that talks in a different way, that is kind, that dresses modestly. Like there's all these things I'm wanting my kids to see that it's not just us. It is here and there are other people like you who are a little bit older than you that you can look up to. And then um, even just going outside of the church, being in the community, take them to a soup kitchen. We did that a couple years ago, pre-COVID, and there was, we were serving families that were homeless. And um, it was really, you know, I'm trying to control everything. But at the same time, it was really great for them to see, hey, I get to help in these little ways and help this family who doesn't have what I have. So those are some great ways to yeah. do it. All right, so maybe one more question real quick here. So what would you say to parents who are trying to apply this, like they've been hearing the whole, for four weeks they've been listening to all this stuff, they're feeling the weight of it, they're like, yeah, I want to be, I want to do this, I want to be a gospel center parent, and I'm trying to apply this, but the last three weeks have been brutal, because <laughs> the kids have not been listening, it's not working, what do I do now? There will be seasons where your kids will not listen to anything you say or anything you do, and it doesn't matter, that's where they are. But here's the hope, okay, so grab this hope, here's God's word, his hope, Job 36.10, it says, he opens their eyes to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. God is telling us that they may not be listening to you right now, but they can still hear me. And the best way that we can do that is just to, our job at that time is just to step back and, and pray like never before, but also to surround them with as much as we can of this Christian environment so that they are more likely to hear God's voice. And we do that in simple ways, bringing them to church, putting them in kids' men, putting them in youth group, doing quiet times at home, serving alongside them, letting them see you serve, just 
getting them engulfed in it. And I know that some people could say, well, that's just, you know, you're trying to force it on them. No, you are creating the opportunity for the spirit to come in and light them up. This is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we do what is good for our kids, whether they like it or not. Again, when we're saying be quiet and pray, we're not saying like stop parenting, right? Okay, that would be completely antithetical. Everything we've been talking about the last three weeks. What we are saying is release it to the Lord, right? Do your part and then pray and trust the Holy Spirit to do what you can't do. At the end of the day, we all have to rest in that. And the great part about it is that's the heart of the gospel, right? That God comes and he does what we can't do. And so we can trust him with that. And so hopefully that encourages you all today. Um, I'm going to give you a couple tools here, just kind of what now, right? Like, so we're moving forward. We're done with the series, but I still have to keep parenting, Micah. So, so where do I go from here? What are some tools I can, I can use with my kids? So a couple things. First, I want to talk about just bedtime, quiet times. So especially if you've got little guys, great thing to start when they're young. But even as they get older, you want to reinforce this with them. And so a couple things that we've used. Um, I actually even brought ours. You can see they are well used. Um, here's our Jesus Storybook Bible with the covers all falling off. Um, this is actually our third copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, and so we start this with them when they're like one years old. Uh, pull it out at night. takes you 10 minutes before bed. Read a story. Pray with them. Put them down. And after three years, four years of them going through this book, Bible over and over again, they know God's word and they're starting to hear it. And it's just seeping into who they are. It's super simple. All right. As they get a little bit older, we switch over to the uh, Big Picture Interactive Bible Storybook. It's a really long name, but it's a really good Bible. And um, it's got a little bit more detail, more um, stories in here to read to them. And then also it's got some questions at the bottom that they can read. It's all illustrated. The kids love it. And so this works really well as well. And you can get these on Amazon. They're fairly cheap. So buy a couple of these. Um, just 10 minutes at night. Read them with your kids. Pray together and get them um, started in God's word. As the kids, um, oh, and then the prayer guide, Jeff. So in your, I didn't bring a copy up. In your um, note sheet there in the middle of your notes. I just put this in there for you if you want to use it. Um, I created this for our girls. It's a prayer journal, prayer guide, and they use this. They fill this out, and then we use this every night, and this is what they pray through after the Bible story time, and so it divides it up day by day where they have a different category that they get to pray for for that day, and we take them through the Acts method that I've told you before, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and they just pray through the thing. On the back, it's got a place for personal requests, anything they want to pray for that's just on their heart, and so we use this over and over again each night, and it just keeps them focused, and it teaches them how to pray um, in their quiet and if time. if you're so, a new believer, this is a great resource for you yeah, to teach you how to pray. Not just for kids. So that's, quite, that's bedtime, quiet times is great. And then we also try to do family devotionals with our kids uh, periodically. This might be once or twice a week, um, and we've used different books for this. But it's just at dinner time, right? When you're sitting down having a family dinner, you've got to talk about something anyways, right? And instead of them, like, arguing about what happened at school or whatever, like, pull out something and read it. So um, we did the undivided one. I couldn't find that this morning at our house. Um, but it was really, really good. It's got a lot of interactive stuff. Um, that one's on Amazon. We also, right now, we're doing Indescribable. It ties a lot of stuff into science. They're really digging that, like all the creation stuff. There's another one called How Great Is Our God, which is on the screen there. Similar kind of thing. So again, I just pull it out. We just read it. Um, usually no one's listening, but that's okay. I just keep reading it anyways. Um, just praying that the Holy Spirit's going to seep some of it in there. Um, and then you have a little conversation about it and maybe have a prayer or read a prayer out of the book. Or, and it's just something to keep God's word in front of your children, keep them growing. As they get a little bit older, you want something a little bit more advanced than this. This New City Catechism is really, really good. Uh, again, it's just you read a short theological statement and it's got some questions you can discuss. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or you can get the app on your phone or iPad for free. 
all the content completely free. Um, really, really strong help there. So family devotions is great as well. And, um, and then lastly, if you're a parent and you're like, Mike, I, I want to keep going. I want to keep growing in my parenting. Where, where can I get some more training? Where can I get some more teaching on this? Um, so there's a great ministry called Family Life Ministries. And uh, they have a website. You can just Google Family Life. And you'll find tons of resources, tons of articles, tons of videos, all free. Um, and then they also just released this new series, this new course called The Art of Parenting. Um, and again, you can get online and sign up and take it for free. And it's tons of video content. they got all these worksheets. All these things you can do as a couple. Just sit down at night, 30 minutes a night, and just start working, working your way through it. Um, it's a great way to grow in your parenting. Get together with other couples maybe in a little small group and do it as a group, whatever fits for you. That's a great resource, and again, it's all free for you to use. So, so that's just a couple things to help you as you're thinking towards the future of gospel-centered parenting. Um, so it's been a great four-week series. I, I've heard lots of great testimonies from you and how God's using this in your life, and we're thankful for that. So I want to just end today with a song. We're not going to sing. I want you to just listen. We're going to have a video here. Lyrics are going to be on the screen. Just pay attention to what it's saying. I think it really summarizes everything we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, and then we'll close in prayer together. It's the greatest, hardest thing we'll ever do To raise them on the straight and narrow truth Send them out beyond their wildest dreams Sons and daughters are the legacy Pray on through this crazy life And watch them fly straight to the target that
Again, the purpose of parenting is to aim our kids at the purposes of God. And so we want to just pray to that end today. So I want to end like this. If you right now are a parent, if you have a child in your home that you're raising, you're helping raise a child through some other means, will you just stand? Everybody else, let me stay seated. But if you have a parent in your, or if you have a child in your home, you're parenting. Stand up for us right now. And I want to just take a moment here and just pray for these families, pray for these parents. If you, uh, if your kids are already grown, or if you don't have kids yet, or maybe you can just pray over them with us, and let's just pray that God would do through them everything that we've been hearing the last couple of weeks. If you want to, if you're close to them, you want to put a hand out or or just kind of put your hand towards them as we pray, we would welcome that as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. And Lord, we want to imitate you as parents. And so God, we're praying, we're asking, Lord, help us. Help us get the balance right. That balance of love and discipline. Lord, knowing and trusting that you are the one who's building the house. Lord, give us courage, give us conviction, give us humility, give us perseverance and wisdom and energy and strength and all these things, God, that can only come from you. Lord, as a result of our faithful investment in these kids, Lord, raise up a new generation right here in this church of future pastors and church planters and missionaries and elders and godly business people and loving parents and Lord raise them up through these families Lord build an army that loves you and flies straight on your mission Lord make our kids dangerous for the gospel we just pray all of this in Christ's name Amen